1: Today, on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
2: Don't dismiss any different way, be it supernaturally or rather naturally, that God might direct our lives and the different things He might use to do that. Even in Paul's life, he says it was specifically because of an illness that I preached the gospel to you and that the spirit of Jesus would not allow him to move on. That's why he first ended up in Galatia, an illness. That's very challenging, very challenging.
1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Galatians. Does God allow hardships, sickness, or loss in our lives as means of bringing us about His will? This is a challenging question to consider. As Pastor Gary leads us through today's message, He will draw our attention to the text that describes the role of illness in Paul's ministry. According to Paul, God permitted this affliction so that Paul would be forced to stay and minister to the people of Galatia. Are you willing to submit yourself to God's good and perfect will, even if it means you will experience trials, pain, or death? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Galatians chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: Challenging on a few levels. So let me try to say this carefully. It appears that when you put Acts 16 together with Galatians 4, that what God actually used to sideline Paul to keep him in Galatia because his work wasn't finished was an illness. Now, why do I say that this is an important thing that I need to say carefully? Because a lot of times we dismiss illness as all something, something that is all completely evil or of the world or of the devil. And listen, God can choose to use supernatural things or natural things to direct our lives, and He can even use an illness. And say so He caused Paul to become sick, but He can use even our illnesses to sideline us, to cause us to kind of stay home or to not move on, or to not go there, or to not do this. Don't dismiss any different way, be it supernaturally or rather naturally, that God might direct our lives and the different things He might use to do that. Even in Paul's life, he says it was specifically because of an illness that I preached the gospel to you, and that the Spirit of Jesus would not allow Him to move on. That's why he first ended up in Galatia, an illness that's very challenging. It's very challenging. We're always wanting to pray quickly for us to be healed and for our illnesses to, to go. But sometimes, who knows, but what God might be using an illness to accomplish. That's very challenging. So back here in Galatians 4, Paul goes on to say in verse 15, What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have, tur- you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Now, this part here about tearing out their eyes and giving them to me is, an, is probably an inference to the fact that Paul had, most historians believe, some kind of a physical ailment in his eyes because he even concludes the letter to the Galatians here in chapter 6 where he talks about in verse 11, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand because his eyesight was probably very poor from some kind of infection so he's probably writing this letter, very large letters and so that's uh, a reference to that and so he's basically saying, I know if you could you would tear out your own eyes and give them to me to replace my poor eyes with, with yours. I know you would do that. It, he, he says, so look, I, I tell you the truth not to become your enemy. I tell you the truth because I love you. In verse 17, he says, those people are zealous to win you over. Talking about the Judaizers who are Jesus plus people. He says, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, and not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Okay, so what he's saying here is he says in verse 19, I am again in the pains of childbirth. Again, meaning I was laboring intensely for you to get saved. Now I'm laboring again for you to come into the truth and get out of this legalism stuff. And he says, I I hope I can change my tone. But he ends this section here, says, because I am perplexed about you. It is the Greek word aporeo, which literally translates in in your King James Bible. It says this. I have some doubts about you. He says, I've got I'm perplexed. I've got some doubts. I'm concerned about where you are. In, in your walk with christ now he's going to use another illustration here at the end of chapter four to kind of drive this point home further because they they're basically saying we're children of abraham so we we think it's jesus plus the law because as good children of abraham as good jews we want to obey the law so paul's now going to talk in this next section about fine you're children of abraham great but remember abraham had two sons And one son represents freedom, and one son represents bondage. Bondage is actually the word King James uses. He's going to use the word slavery in in the NIV. But let me read the section, and then we'll come back and, and talk about it. So verse 21, he says, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his, or King James says, in the flesh. But his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. Notice the contrast. Flesh, promise. Okay, ordinary way, promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia. By the way, don't take issue. And this is one of these things where somebody might say, well, there's a mistake in the Bible. Mount Sinai is not in Arabia. But Arabia in Paul's day included the Sinai Peninsula where Mount Sinai is. Uh, Herodotus, the ancient historian, said everything east of the Nile River was considered Arabia. Okay, so it's an old term that he's using here. Now, Hagar stands from Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But, but the Jerusalem that is above, meaning where heaven is, is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, "'Be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband.'" Now, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way, in the flesh, persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. So that clears it all up, doesn't it? So what is this section talking about? Let me break it down, and in order to break it down, we're going to talk first about Abraham's age and the timeline of events to understand the history that he's referring to. This is all found in Genesis. Paul is kind of summarizing some Jewish history to make the point that, that, he's, that he's driving home here. So here's what we know about Abraham and the timeline of events. When Abraham was 75 years of age, God appears to him. God appears to him when Abraham was living in Ur, a city in what is called the Chaldees. Uh, in ancient times, it was also called Mesopotamia, the land between the two rivers, between the Tigris and the Euphrates. We're talking Iraq. When God appeared to Abraham, he was a Gentile, pagan, heathen living in Iraq in the ancient city of Ur. He's 75 years of age. God appears to him in Genesis 12, and he says to him, you're going to be the father of a great nation. Your offspring will be more numerous in the sand of the... Uh, of the the earth, And, and he calls Abraham to leave where he lives and to go to the land that God is going to give him, and so he promises him the promised land, Israel. Abraham starts out, makes the journey, eventually gets to Israel, had a little detour along the way, eventually gets to Israel. God appears to him again in his early 80s. Now Abraham is in Israel, and God appears to him again, Genesis 15, and he restates. You're going, to be the child of, you're going to have a child of the promise. By your offspring, all nations will be blessed. Abraham actually believes that because he hasn't had a child now at this point, I mean, it's, it's been about 12, 13 years since God first made the promise when he was 75. He's now in his early 80s. And so uh, uh, well, it, hasn't been, it hasn't been that long yet. It's been about eight years. But Abraham's becoming discouraged, and he thinks, maybe my servant Eleazar is going to be my heir. And God actually appears to him in Genesis 15, and it says that then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside, he took Abraham outside and said, look up to the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So he restates it when Abraham is in his early 80s, and so the, the covenant promise is reiterated. But 10 years into it, no baby. No baby. So Sarah, Abraham's wife, comes up with this idea. Why don't you sleep with my maidservant Hagar and have a child by Hagar, seeing as how you and I aren't able to have children and God's made this promise to you, so, you know, maybe I'm holding the whole plan back. Why don't you go ahead and sleep with Hagar? Now, Abraham's 85. His wife is 10 years younger, so she's 75 at this point. And um, she comes up with this idea. And so Abraham, being the godly, righteous man that he is, he says, Sarah, there's no way I could do that. I mean, I'm a righteous, godly man, and you're a righteous, godly woman, and it wouldn't be right for me to take another woman, and no, he doesn't say that. He says, okay, (laughs) 85-year-old man, okay, and so he sleeps with Hagar, she gets pregnant, the next year, Abraham's 86 years old and Ishmael is born. Now, Paul doesn't even mention Ishmael's name in this passage here. He just says, the child born by the ordinary way, or again, King James, by the flesh. And why is he saying it like this? Because this is a whole fleshly idea. This is a whole fleshly concept. This was not God's will. They got impatient. They didn't wait for God's promise to be fulfilled. So, Abraham sleeps with Hagar Has a son, Ishmael, when Abraham is 86 years of age. It's not until Abraham is 100 years of age and Sarah is 90 that the child of the promise, Isaac, is born. 25 years after God had told Abraham initially, through your offspring, all nations will be blessed. 25 years later, the child of the promise finally came. Now, Paul is contrasting these experiences here. One child was born as a result of the flesh, man's efforts, man's scheming, man's decision, man's works. The other child was born as a result of the promise of God. And he even says, by the power of the Spirit, in verse 29. So then Paul makes this contrast of Abraham's two sons. The one son, Ishmael, is a child of the slave woman. The slave woman is Hagar, And Hagar represents the law because it's all about works of the flesh. That whole relationship and the result of Ishmael's birth was a whole just scheme of the flesh. On the other hand, Paul says the other son of Abraham's was Isaac. Isaac was a child of the free woman. The free woman's name was Sarah. She represents grace because it's about the power of the spirit. So what Paul is drawing on here from their own Jewish history is basically this. He's saying to the churches of Galatia who are believing in the Jesus Plus stuff, he says, to so which one do you belong? He said, are, are, you, are you about the flesh and works and human effort? Because don't you know from our own history, that's the story of Ishmael. That whole mess that today has resulted in what we call the Middle East conflict. That's what it is. Ishmael is the father of the Arab people. Isaac is the father of the Semitic people, the Jewish people. This conflict happened because somebody rushed in their own efforts and in their own works to bring about something that was not God's design. Now, that isn't to say the Arab people are not God's design. We're talking only specifically in terms of the promise of the inheritance. Okay. The fact of the matter is all of Abraham's children are blessed, including the Arab people. Okay, But in terms of salvation, Paul is saying, do, do you really want to really live under the law? Don't you want to live freely under the promise? Don't you, don't you want to have the relationship that is based on the power of the Spirit, of what God has done for you, not on what you think you can do for God? Because that's the difference between these two stories. The Ishmael story is about how a couple of people got together and thought how they could help God out. The Isaac story is about how God fulfilled His promises to people who didn't deserve it and didn't earn it. But it was His promise fulfilled. Paul says, let your relationship be that. The fulfilled promise of grace. Of receiving a free gift. Don't, don't try to work your way and, and improve upon anything or impress God. That didn't work with with. Abraham and Hagar and Sarah, and, and it's not going to work now in, in your walk with Him. So don't be children of, of the flesh or children of the ordinary way. Be children of the Spirit who are born by the power of the Spirit, and that's why he ends that chapter by saying, "Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman." And, and that's same sense. He's talking about Jerusalem. There's an earthly Jerusalem. There's a heavenly Jerusalem. There's an earthly plan. There's a heavenly plan. There's earthly works. There's heavenly grace. And he's, so he's putting it in this context in this contrast so that they can understand. You're gonna have to choose to, to live a life that is in the in the power of the Spirit, and and don't try to do this works oriented thing. Chapter five. Let's look through the first section here of chapter five, where Paul starts out by saying, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Okay. So now that he gets through talking about all this stuff about the law, don't, don't be bound by the law. Don't, don't, don't think that you can work your way to heaven through just obedience to the law. Okay. Then he talks here about freedom. But he's going to warn them about freedom. And the first warning is right there in verse 1. Do not let yourselves fall back into legalism when he says, do not let yourselves be burned again by yoke of slavery. And then in verse 13, if you glance down further in verse 13, where he says, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. So these are going to be the warnings through the rest of the book of Galatians. Don't let yourselves fall back into legalism. Okay, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free, so live in that freedom, walk in that freedom, don't fall back into legalism, but then he also warns, but at the same time, don't use your freedom to indulge in sinful nature. Now next week, we're going to get into the latter half of chapter 5, where he talks about the, the acts of the sinful nature versus the fruit of the Spirit. He's going to make some wonderful uh, contrast there as well, so that's going to be for next week, but for now, let's just look at the first section of chapter 5. Again, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So you kind of get that image of like a farm animal, just yoked, slavery, heavy burden. That's where King James uses the word bondage. Bondage to what? Slavery to what? To the law. To to always trying to be a good person. That's that That's slavery. That is futility. He says in verse 2, mark mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Okay, now understand in the context, it's not like there's a problem being circumcised today. Men are Men are circumcised pretty frequently in America, and usually it's customary or just for hygienic reasons. But he's saying, but don't do it because you think you're improving upon salvation. Christ died for your sins. It's not Jesus plus circumcision. So he says, if, if you go down that road, you're going to be bound to have to fulfill all the rest of the law. He says, that's why he says Christ will be of no value to you. If you're going to, if you're going to turn to the law as a means of trying to make yourself righteous, then what value is Christ? He says in verse three, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. If you're going to, this is going to be your direction. You're going to have to do the, the works of all the law. He says, verse four, you who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. I don't think that that's a statement of that, you know, they've lost their salvation. They've fallen away from grace. He just says, you know, if you're taking, if you're taking the approach that you are made right by obeying all the law, then you have fallen away in that sense from grace because grace has no effect then. He says, but by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. He says in verse 7, you were running a good race who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth. Now, Paul must have been an athlete because he draws on athletic comparisons uh, at different times through his epistles. And this is one of them. He compares the Christian life to a race. By the way, it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Okay, And we have to persevere in, in this marathon. But he makes this comparison. He says to the churches of Galatia, you're running a good race. You know, the finish line is in is in view. Who cut in on you? And kept you from obeying the truth, Paul says. You were running a good way, a race. Somebody cut in and clipped you, and now you're not going to finish well. Listen, folks, it does not really matter how well you start. It only matters how well you finish. And I, I hear from people time to time who say to me, "You know, I wish I'd known Christ years ago, and I got a late start in my life, or or it was difficult to, to get going." And and you know, and I always just want to encourage you by saying, it doesn't really matter how well you start. What matters is how well you finish. And Paul's concern for the churches here. He's saying, you know, look, somebody cut in on you, and they're, they've kept you from obeying the truth, but you need to run a good race here and finish well. Verse 8, he says, That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Wow. 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 Let, let me say this delicately, but let me try to explain. What he, what he means is if you're going to cut away a little flesh through circumcision, might as well cut the whole thing off. That's what he's saying here. That's harsh. That is harsh. But he's, go ahead and emasculate yourselves because if, if you, if you think cutting away a little bit makes you righteous, might as well get really righteous, cut the whole thing righteous, dude. I mean, I'm telling you, that is, that is really righteous, dude, right there. But anyway, let's move on. Verse 13, he says, You, my brothers, were called to be free. Okay. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. There's, there's a lot there, but I'm going to save it to next, for next week because it segues into the next section. But again, his caution there, don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. We'll talk more about that next week. And we'll talk a little bit about the sinful nature itself and the battle that is within and how we can have victory over our sinful, fallen flesh.
1: Is False teaching followed the Apostle Paul wherever he went. It seemed as soon as he left a church, people professing to know the truth came in and planted seeds of doubt twisting the gospel to fit their own agendas. This is what happened in the Galatian church and why Paul was compelled to pen his letter that you now know as the book of Galatians. Paul will continue to defend the authority God has given him and the simple message of the gospel as you continue to study this book with us. Thank you for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection today. If you'd like to listen again to Pastor Gary Hamrick's message, or would like to explore more of his verse-by-verse teachings, visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast as well, so you'll be informed as soon as we post a new edition of this program. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. Find out more when you visit our website, Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc That's all we have time for today. Join us next time to dive into the word again, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul
2: That you've got no place to go But still you know But still you know You're not alone